uh, we're recording this again. Uh, I in I think this is going to be episode 210, 211, something like that. And uh, the fir- for the first time ever, I did not record the guest audio. I had to change a setting recently on my software for another online podcast I did at work. And uh, I didn't change it back. So we're picking bones again, but you know what? Maybe it'll be a... Maybe maybe we can uh, make the conversation flow a little faster this time. We we doubled our time that we wanted to spend on the first time around, <laughs> but um, at least you know I can take the ads from the end and I can put those on here, so I don't, to, I don't have to record that again. So, but no, I am joined tonight by a longtime listener, just a great, I guess you'd say ally, great ally, kind of person you want in your corner, just very supportive of the show shared my stuff with a lot of people through the years, always comments, always likes, um, Paul Sarita. And, uh, Paul is from the area that I grew up and, uh, he works as a firefighter and paramedic and, uh, is a uh, combat veteran and, uh, just an all around great guy who just so happened to tag a piebald deer, um, doing a little research before this podcast Piebald deer uh, are a one in one thousand deer occurrence, and um, you know the full expression of that recessive, you know, white coloring uh, fur color would be all albino deer. That is one in thirty thousand deer, and uh, you know. <clears throat> I should probably cite my source there, right? I used to be a teacher. You're always supposed to cite your sources. But um, uh, the resource that I got those numbers from is the North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission, so ncwildlife.org. And uh, just the article's titled Commonality of Piebald and Albino Deer. So, Paul, when uh, you you hunted this piebald buck well first of all thanks for joining me tonight buddy of course. but uh uh we're prepared to actually be here so appreciate well, it well hey i really appreciate you saying that and uh i'm sorry we had to record picking bones twice it's my it's fault okay. but uh when you were hunting this piebald um did you know did you know he existed before the hunt or was this like total shock when when he showed up the piebald factor was a shock because i had this buck on the camera for the past couple of months before I seen them doing my trail cam surveys, saving all my books, watching them grow, trying to build that history. Mm-hmm. All my pictures were at night. Even when I shot him, I didn't recognize his rack that he had. And until I got home and started looking through my pictures a day or two later, I'm like, I do have a history with this buck just for the season that I knew about. Hmm. So past years, I think he was a two year old. Okay. Um, but I don't remember ever seeing him on camera before. Because um, if I was seeing a piebald on camera, I actually absolutely would have saved it. And yeah, but right, no known history other than a couple of night pictures I found out later that I had. Now, did did any of the neighbors that hunt the area? Maybe you don't know them, but had any other hunters? Not seen that them? I've heard. I asked a buddy okay. that's about a mile and a half away because we've had same deer on cameras before, but he hadn't seen it, and the other neighbors I'm unsure of. Yeah. Well, it's, it's super interesting. And that part there, I think is an interesting part of the puzzle too, is how famous 
or not famous was this deer. And I think that's dependent too on where you're hunting. You know, if it's like a real urban setting, then eh, there could be a chance a lot of people know about that deer. But if it's out in the middle of nowhere, um, you know, probably a very low chance. Um, but that's what we're going to talk about tonight. The, uh, there, this isn't like for us, for guys like Paul and me, it feels pretty cut and dry. Yeah. This is a really cool buck coming through here. It's illegal for me to harvest, which we're going to talk about that too. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to squeeze the trigger, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to let one go on this buck, but, um, that's not the case everywhere. Right. In fact, um, did your, did working class share your picture of that, that buck? No, I put it on their page, but, um, we did, they did a live Patreon one night. It was mm-hmm. discussed there, but that episode never got released. been released. I don't know about it yet. So. Sure. So, I mean, did you read any comments on there or anything on social media where it was anybody up in arms about biggest thing I really heard? Well, one, there's a few, why, why would you do that? But nothing harsh, mm-hmm. but the biggest thing was, you know, why aren't you doing a full body mount? And I made my justification by he doesn't have white above his like front shoulders up to his nose. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole back half is like, it looks like a lightning strike. And oh, I've never seen cool. a pie ball like that either before. Yeah. And I didn't want, I don't have the room for a full body mount. I'd make room if I really wanted it, but sure. Besides the size and the, co- the cost is a big factor too. So, yeah, sure. Well, it's, yeah. So, you know, there's, there's the, you know, some interesting controversy there. People wanting you to do something with it after mm-hmm. you kill it. Oh, that's so special. You really need to make sure you do it upright. But then also the part that you mentioned too, where people are like, why, why would you shoot that thing? That's a, you know, that's a special thing. That's a mystical animal almost. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, you can see that on, and I imagine if that post had truly gone like really viral, you would have gotten a lot of that. I would suspect. I was honestly trying to do that a little bit. I wanted to see if I could get that harsh feedback, just mm-hmm. because you don't see very many pie balls being taken this year. Yeah, there was a much bigger one taken. I don't remember where, but I seen it. But it was like three quarters pie balled and had like a gray coat. And I was he had a lot more controversy than I ever got. And, oh, really? You saw a lot of negative comments on his. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, that. It, and that doesn't surprise me because on all the truly viral ones where I've stuck around to read the comments, I mean, now it's kind of like, I don't really want to see those comments. They just bug me. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, I've seen it on, on other posts in the past, especially on albino animals. Um, I don't, I don't know that I'm, I'm not really sure. Well, maybe now is a good time to say there's, there are laws on this, like to go along with the controversy, um, my home state here in Iowa, uh, you, so this is according, this is another article that I looked up for our conversation tonight, just on what the legality was of harvesting these animals. And, um, uh, this outdoor life, um, uh, online article is titled piebald deer to shoot or not to shoot. And it's by Gary, uh, Bethke. And this was updated on April 20th of 2021, so it's a couple years old. Um, but 
uh, it it included some insight on this, on being able to, you know, where where is it legal to harvest a piebald deer? And it says, uh, the legal harvest of albino and piebald deer is indeed controversial. Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, Tennessee, and Wisconsin prohibit killing albino deer. And Iowa goes so far as to protect deer that are 50% or more white. Okay, so I don't know if that means, like, that's the only states that, um, you know, the author is familiar with the laws on it, or if the, out of all, the, you know, 50 states, these are the only ones that have, you know, specific legislation there. But in Illinois, you were legally allowed to harvest this buck, right? That's correct. And we're talking with the DNR officer. I'll just jump into this part really quick. Yeah. She started asking me, how much white is it? This is before I sent her the pictures. She just heard call word of it and called me. Mm-hmm. Um, because you can have a albino buck, but he can have brown stained tarsal glands and a brown forehead, the whole side of his forehead from rubbing and mm-hmm. all that. And he's still considered an albino. Sure, because it's not – he's brown there not because of his stained. pigmentation. He's stained that's from correct. other Most, factors. That's why she's asking now. I said, don't worry, it's less than 50%. And when you're in your state, you mm-hmm. know, 50%, man, that deer's 40% white. Are you still going to take that shot? <laughs> I'm who's not, no. Who's, who's doing the measuring? And how are you going to, you know, does right. the white count on the belly? Because that's always white on all deer. And right, that's true. That's a good point. It's just, that would, oh, that's just too close there. Yeah, too stressful, way too stressful. Yeah. I don't want to lose hunting privileges over something so petty. Yeah, right. Yeah, so so you had to call the DNR. Now, did you technically have to make that call? Is that part of the rules? Like, if you shoot a piebald, do you have to call the DNR? Or did no, you? She had actually called me. She had caught wind of it already. Okay, gotcha. her friend, mutual friend, and luckily I'm friends with her anyways. So we're on first sure. name basis and working relationship between my fire department and her being a conservation officer. So awesome. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. so she asked a few questions and I had to clarify some things with her anyways. So yep. it was a good conversation. We'll get that in more in depth than the other one. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to do a full length episode. That's going to talk about the hunt for this piebald, but um, you know, we'll uh, naturally in the conversation, some of the details are going to come through here. When you were sitting there and you saw this deer walk out, was it like, man, I don't know the, you know, what's the, am I going to get some blowback over this? Am I going to, you know, is this, is this something I even want to do? Is this deer too special to, to kill? And I should just let him go because I don't want to take away this, you know, specific or this special genetic line in, you know, on my hunting property. Like what, what kind of thoughts were swirling around in your head? First thought, I couldn't believe what I was seeing, and I didn't realize it was a buck at first, anyways, because of the cover. And then I, when I once I realized it was a buck, I'm like, "Do I shoot or do I not shoot?" I haven't shot a buck since 2017, hmm. and I just went back and forth. And after he freed himself from getting stuck during while rubbing on a tree, I was like, "I'm shooting," and I just starting over again and. He, he just gave me the great shot eventually, and it was a good, fun, I'd say, 35-minute encounter. Wow. And, 
But so, no, I never thought of any negative feedback. I wasn't worried about that. I was just like thinking how rare this is and this is my one in a million deer and my yeah. buck of a lifetime. Right, right. Well, technically one in a thousand, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but no, we, we 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 talked about that though the first time we recorded this. Technically, if it's a one in a thousand deer, I would say most people like Paul and I who are deer obsessed, when we're driving down the road, we're always looking for deer. We're always, you know, think of those summer nights where it's just magic, you know, and all the deer in that area are out and you can just see, you know, 30, 40, 50 deer out feeding in a bean field or something, right? I would imagine that we probably all lay eyes on a piebald with those odds, one in a thousand. I bet we all see a thousand plus deer a year um, just through all the different ways, you know, that we see deer. But with the piebald, it's almost like, you know, when a deer is a fawn, they're technically like a piebald when they're a fawn, right? They got all those little white spots on them. And that serves a purpose of camouflaging. And so I got to think that, like, from a distance, we probably don't recognize the one piebald deer that we may see every year just because it's, it's like, almost camouflaged, you know? I did and, some research myself on that piebaldism. Mm-hmm. They're not always just a skin mint. Different, different color fur it can be like bone densities differences and oh, that's interesting. In, or short legs or different oddities that you wouldn't think about so just other yeah other i think the term for that is linked traits other linked right. traits that go along with that genetic difference mm-hmm. um yeah that's interesting i did not know that either but but uh all that to say, I w- you know, when you said one in a million deer, it probably kind of is almost that way. It feels when you, like when, it. When, I mean, you th- when you think of that, you know, like, okay, you've been hunting for so many years or you've been, you've cared about looking at deer for so many years. Sure, based on the one in 1,000 occurrence, you've probably seen, you know, one a year for the last 20-some years. But you never i mean have you ever noticed that you've seen one in the wild until you saw this one to my knowledge i've never seen one in person in 28 years of hunting yeah so i mean it's like it's it's it is kind of almost like a one in a million thing to recognize one to, to recognize one in the wild after so many years and so i don't think it's far off to say that you know like i like this is you're never you Chances are you'll probably never see one while hunting ever again, you know. that I, I imagine a lot of guys hunt their entire lives and never see one from the stand. And, I believe that. And uh, so, you know, this this may have been the chance. That being said, you know, we had George Blitch on this podcast a few episodes ago, and he's seen multiple melanistic deer um, while he's been hunting. He's even tagged at least one that I know of. And, um, you know, so there's, you know, that's an even higher odds or that's just so hard to fathom that he's seen many of them. (laughs) I know, I know it is. Yeah. And so it's, it's, um, you know, it's a, it's an interesting thing to consider that. And I agree with you. If I was in your shoes, I think I would have gone ahead and, and taken the shot for those reasons. Like this is just such an incredible opportunity. That being said, 
And when we go to like when we talk about like the melanistic deer or the albino deer, in some places the, it is illegal to harvest at least the albino deer. I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's first of all, you're probably not gonna miss an albino deer when you're driving down the road. Like that's gonna that's a much more stark contrast with the environment, you know, think of a green bean field and now a white deer standing out there. You're going to see that, you know, but, but the community around those animals takes notice too. Like I know where there's an albino buck that lives about 30 minutes from my house and people around there just know that buck. Um, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a really well-known buck. Um, they I think, become local celebrities. Right. Yes. They become local celebrities. Very well said. And people get in a, an attachment to them, almost like a pet, you know? And now I think when you go to harvest, so obviously in our States, it's not legal to harvest them. So it's not even a, not even a question, but let's say you are in a state where maybe it is legal. I don't know if there are, if they are legal to harvest in other States or not, but based on that article, possibly, um, outdoor life article. Um, now you're, I think like you're, you're talking about a little bit different situation there where I don't think you harvesting a piebald had any risk of damaging, um, what people think about hunting. You know, they're just not, I don't think there's the awareness of them out there i think that celebrity status that you mentioned is is kind of unlikely but if it was an albino buck and you were allowed to harvest that now you you could be talking like there could be some people very upset and that level of being upset where you live because i used to live there grew up there probably not gonna be very big because most people around there do hunt or have family members that hunt hunting is very much so a part of the culture. But now let's say that deer is in California where a lot of people don't hunt and there's a huge presence of anti-hunting pressures around it. What do you think? Like, Yeah, I just think there'd be a lot more backlash in those type of communities. Um, but what you're talking about, I just looked it up, Michigan actually allows you to shoot albinos. Oh, really? Okay. So, that's just the closest state I can find near us. And I'm like, that's, it's mind blowing actually. Yeah, it is. You know, you know, when recorded earlier, I was saying I would shoot a albino if it's legal. Mm-hmm. It seems hard to think about because I'm so used to being illegal. Yeah. But if it's legal, I'd consider it. Let's just go that route. <laughs> yeah. No, and I, but and I don't I'd think take you'd be... criticism. I can take on big man. I can <laughs> yeah. handle it. And... Yeah. No, I think that's, Yeah, I think that's a, you're just being honest, you know, and, and, uh, that is where I think I would probably differ from you, Paul. I wouldn't think you were wrong in doing so. Now let's say it like turned into the thing, like with Cecil the lion, you know, uh, five or six years ago when that whole nightmare happened, (laughs) right. That I think I would struggle with feelings of. Almost like, dude, Paul, you like, you like made this hard on the rest of us. 
by doing that, you know, where like, let's say it was not just any random albino buck where like it's a celebrated thing where they're putting them on like postcards and they're putting, you know, like, like this is our, you know, sacred albino buck. They're all over local news and people <laughs> right. know the population. Just... Yeah, it's like Parks and Rec, little Sebastian from Parks and Rec. If it's that, you know, if it's that iconic, you know, and you go in, which is what Cecil the Lion was. He was iconic. If it wasn't and, iconic, I have a different thought process on it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think that's I think it's where. it's situation dependent. Right, Exactly. Exactly. I think it's situationally dependent on where you are. And the same could probably even be said for a piebald in the, you know, like maybe you're doing an urban hunt in, in like, uh, well, let's just go with where the most famous urban bow hunter is. Well, maybe one, I, I guess the seek one guys are probably have probably taken the cake for that now, but let's go, let's go with the seek one guys. Let's go with, uh, let's say they go up to do a DC Washington DC hunt um, with uh, the other big time urban hunter er, uh, Taylor Chamberlain, who hunts DC, and they, you know, now you're talking a place like that where you're doing an urban hunt. You're probably going to have a lot of anti hunters around there, oh, yeah. and you go and start dragging a piebald out of someone's backyard. You're probably going to have a major issue on your hands with with uh, how you're going to be treated, and I could see that spilling over and hurting the hunting community too. So I agree. I think it's situationally dependent, and I think like if you're in a state like you know where George is at, where he harvested those or at least one melanistic deer, um, <clears throat> like he told me on the podcast, yeah, we have a lot of them here. It's just this weird thing, and a lot of the them. Right, right there. Right, right. There's some, you know, I get it. Then it's probably not going to be a problem. You know, like people aren't just they're not going to care. But if it's like the first one the state ever had on record or something, <laughs> you know, you probably should probably should uh, be thinking about what is this going to do to the hunting community um, as a you know because that is part of our role, I think as hunters is to, um, do our best. It's not going to always be possible. And sometimes you have to draw a line, say, well, I understand that people are going to have a problem with this and I'm still going to do it. Um, because it's legal and, uh, it's part of hunting or trapping for that matter. And, and so like, I'm not saying people should just always give in to what public pressures make, but, if it does kind of make sense, like, yeah, if I kill this, I'm going to technically be morally okay, but um, I'm going to cause a lot of other hunters a lot of grief and maybe damage hunting in the long run and give the anti-hunting movement leverage. Eh, you, you should probably not do it, is, would be my opinion. What do you think of that? I mean, I, see, I definitely see your point there. <laughs> It's uh, I think it's more education to the people that needs to get out mm-hmm. of the non-hunting community. Not saying PETA, I'm saying everybody else, you know. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I'm, as as long as it's legal, that's all I care about anymore, you know. Yeah, 
No, I, I definitely, I definitely understand that standpoint. Um, or that it's so point, hard to that communicate or hard, so hard to educate the non-hunters. Yeah. They don't want to listen. They, most of them don't care to listen to it and want to learn it. Yeah. And I mean, and that's their prerogative, but also, you know, we need to be mindful too, that they make up the vast majority of who votes on hunting issues. Right. And, you know, I think it's probably good that we try and keep them happy and, and make it a, make it a thing that, you know, but at the same time, if it's illegal, it's legal, like Paul's saying. And we never try to necessarily get to the answer on picking bones episodes. I don't think that that's always a reasonable expectation to, to do that. But, um, you know, we try to get, we try to get closer and that's part of, that's part of, uh, what this whole conversation has been about. So if you have an opinion, on hunting genetic oddity animals could be other things too right could be bearded hens could be antlered does could be um an albino squirrel reach out love to hear your opinion um i'm not going to tell you what you should do i think uh it kind of comes down to each person understanding their own situation i do think that all of us should probably think it through like uh Paul said at one point, you know, in some ways it is a little situationally dependent or situational dependent um, as far as, you know, shooting a buck, shooting a, a piebald buck where he's at is not the same as shooting a piebald buck in someone's backyard in Washington, D.C. And and but it's if it's legal, it's legal. So, you know, understanding, hey, I'm going to probably have to face some criticism here. But like Paul said. He's okay with that. And if you're not going to be okay with that, well, then maybe you make a different decision than what Paul is going to make. But I think it is important to think these things through because let me tell you, if it was legal for me to take that buck that Paul took, I would have taken him too. And uh, you're getting it. Uh, you're getting a rug made out of him, right? Out of the hide? That's correct. Yep. I'm doing a yeah, rug. That's awesome. Also, did he have a friend do a euro on the head and – and I had a little article done in Illinois Outdoor News. That's going to be framed up next to it as well. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Did uh, Jeremiah Haas write the article? Sure did. Yeah, Jeremiah, great guy. We need to get him back on the podcast. The yeah, he's an awesome guy. Uh, I think he's done two or three episodes on First Gen. Um, you know, what's interesting is I was just interviewed by Pierce Nels of, of the Wisconsin Sportsman, and he was looking up, he was just Googling, um, how to hunt deer on the islands in the Mississippi river. And, uh, that podcast was the like only thing to come up. He said, so Jeremiah, uh, is, is known for that. He's, he's, uh, done some great hunting and nobody knows the Mississippi river better than Jeremiah does, but that's awesome that there's that article to go with it. I, I need to mm-hmm. check that out and see if I can, maybe you could send me a picture of it or I don't know, maybe it's online somewhere, but I'd love to read it. And, uh, you can hear the rest of the story, though. Uh, tuning in this Friday, going to have Paul on to tell the whole hunt, how it went down. And uh, now, though, you kind of know some of the background behind the different controversies that go into this. And, um, man, it's just it's fun, to, it's fun to explore them, fun to try and, you know, talk about these hot-button issues a little bit, see what, see what I would do in that circumstance. And Paul knows what he would do because he's already done it. So... <laughs> 
Well, thanks so much, Paul, for joining me on this one. And thank you to everyone else. Do remember the podcast is presented by Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is such a handy tool for hitting the woods. Um, You know, I just saw a great video from Bill on, I think it was on Instagram or Facebook, the founder of Spartan Forge. He was talking about the Blue Forest Tracker. And uh, I thought that was a feature that you had to pay to get. But I think you can, based on what he was saying, I think you can get that um, on the free version as well. And he suggests using Blue Force Tracker with property owners. If they feel a little uneasy about you being out hunting their property, you can say, hey, I'm going to share with you. I'm going to send you an email, a link. If you just download this free app, uh, you will be able to see when I'm on your property and where I am at on your property by using this Blue Force Tracker uh, tool. And he said, you know what, that might get you some of that, you know, where someone's a little wishy-washy on whether or not they're going to give you, uh, you know, they're just unsettled about letting you hunt their place. That might be what allows you to get on there is they know that where you are, they know you're not, you know, messing things up for them in some other way. So that's a great tool you can get. I'm actually planning to use it with uh, some hunting buddies here where we all hunt the same piece of public land. We're going to get, we're going to, I'm going to like very few, like I know everybody, but nobody else in the group knows each other. Um, And so there's going to be like five of us and we're just going to, I'm hoping to have like a day this off season where we just blitz this piece of public and we all go our separate ways and find good sign, find a spot to put up a tree stand. We can turn on the blue forest tracker, mark where our stands are, and then we can all share stands. We can uh, uh, share sign, you know, like we're finding and uh, features that we think would be good to hunt. And then that way, when one of us or two of us, you know, want to get a hunt in after work, we'll, we'll have five tree stands to choose from um, on this piece of public. And we can really break down this tough place to hunt, I think, a lot faster by using that team aspect that comes through the Blue Force Tracker. So if, you, if that's something you're interested in, go to uh, the link in the show notes or in my uh, link tree on my Instagram bio, and uh, you can get going right away with um, with Spartan Forge. And, of course, you know, you get pay for the full version, and you get uh, a lot more map mapping layers, and you get the deer behavior prediction, which is uh, so powerful. Also, don't forget East-West Hunts. Uh, I was just on the phone with Alex. He's setting up a really cool client hunt opportunity I'm hoping that I will be hunting elk for the first time this next hunting season. And uh, that's just one of the side benefits when you are a client of Alex's. He does cool little things like that. But uh, if you have a hunting dream of your own, it's probably going to require that you get a specific tag, which may require you to get a certain number of points. And uh, when you draw, you're going to want to make it count. And so you're going to want a good hunt plan to go with it. That's going to greatly increase your odds of filling a tag. Well, Alex is the guy to talk to. Go to eastwesthunts.com, request a free consultation with Alex, and he will, you know, check out what are your goals and ambitions. And he'll say, yep, I can help you with that. Or, oh, I think you're uh, looking in the wrong spot. I'm not going to waste your time or money. Um, But most likely he'll be like, yep. That sounds exactly like what I do here, and uh, we and I can definitely, you know, make life easier for you, make that dream come true. 
and uh, he'll take you on and uh, make it happen. So you'll definitely want to check that out. Go to eastwesthunts.com, get that free consultation. Tell them you heard about it on this podcast, and you'll save 15%. Sorry, not 15%, 10%. 15% comes from the next sponsor that I'm going to mention. So uh, a partner with uh, MyMedic. MyMedic is a great pot. A great partner of the First Gen Hunter podcast. Um, really a thing that gives me a lot of peace of mind, not just when I'm on a hunting trip, but when I'm here at home. Um, uh, Paul is a, uh, a paramedic, and he uh, he understands just how quickly a, cir- a situation can become life-threatening. And I got to imagine a lot of times, a lot of the, the emergency calls you've responded to, Paul, um, had people just had the right equipment on hand, they probably could have made things go a lot better for themselves or their loved one. Um, yep, definitely does. And that's why my medic came to be. Um, the founders uh, had a loved one who um, they felt, I think they were in a car accident and they felt they died unnecessarily. If someone had just had a first aid kit on hand, they could have saved this person's life. And so, I strongly recommend if you're going to go on any kind of hunting trip, but even just for around the house or maybe in your camper or in your truck or wherever, I strongly recommend you have a first aid kit on you. And I really feel that my medic makes some of the best ones out there. Uh, My cousin, Brian, who is a paramedic with Paul reviewed the kit, went over it with me. There's a video on that. Um, And he was really impressed with, with everything included in that. And so um, if you go on to the MyMedic website, you can find the link here in the show notes or again in my link tree bio, and you use the promo code FIRSTGEN15, all lowercase, all one word, FIRSTGEN15, you'll save 15% off of your purchase from them. So I strongly recommend you do that. Um, it would be a uh, uh, just a great tool to have with you. And then finally, uh, Old Barn Taxidermy, great sponsor. Love being partnered with them. Sam does just incredible work. Um, I saw a buck that somebody harvested the other day. A thing was an absolute monster, and it had a terrible taxidermy job. It was bad, bad taxidermy. It looked more like a, uh, I don't know, kind of almost like a donkey. But uh, not like the good kind, you know, not like the swamp donkey kind, like uh, like just, uh, you know, like literally a donkey. And um, that's not good, people. Don't settle for bad taxidermy. Get it done the right way. Go to Old Barn Taxidermy. Um, that's where I take all my work, and uh, I've never been disappointed. It is world-class work done by Sam, who's been in the business for like 40 years, do over 500 whitetail shoulder mounts alone every single year plus all the other critters that they mount you cannot go wrong by going there please find a link for them in my show notes or in uh, my link tree bio again or in my bio on my instagram account and uh, you can uh, see how you can get in touch with them for whatever you need mounted well thanks so much paul for weighing this one out with me would have been fun to get george in on this to talk about the melanistic side of it um but you can hear that in his previous episode and uh stay tuned on friday we're gonna have paul tell us some more information about his hunting experiences until next time everyone
Take care and take someone care.